You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. The scripture this morning is Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. If you're using a Bible in the back of the pew, you'll find that on page 823. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one as a gift from Park Church. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he, could, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. Good morning, Park Church. How's everybody doing? Super good. Woo! Glad that you guys are here. Uh, My name is Luke. I am the student minister here at Park Church, and I have the privilege of bringing to you guys uh, God's Word today. So, what's been happening is we are going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew today, and today we're finishing chapter 18. And throughout this chapter, throughout chapter 18, Jesus has been revealing to us the heart of God. He's been revealing to us the heart of God, and we've discovered that it is a heart that chases us, that pursues us, that loves us passionately. And today's passage is the culmination of this theme. It's the culmination of this theme as Jesus expounds on the topic of forgiveness, of forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the core. It is the hallmark. It is at the very heart of Christianity. Forgiveness is the core of what Christianity is. If we don't get 
forgiveness, then we don't get Christianity. Does that make sense? If we don't get forgiveness, we don't get Christianity. And so, in verse 21, Peter asks Jesus a very important question, a question that we also ask. He basically asks Jesus, man, how long do I have to put up with this fool right here? How long do I have to put up with this fool right here? How long until I'm allowed to write this idiot out of my life? When can I write him out of my life? Because Jesus... This person has repeatedly, repeatedly harmed me. This person has hurt me over and over again. I've been more than patient. I've been more than magnanimous with this person. Can I write him out of my life now? Can I cancel him now? Is that okay, Jesus? How much longer, how much do I have to put up with this dude? And I think that honestly, all of us at one point or another have asked this very same question. We've all asked this question because all of us at some point have been sinned against. All of us have been hurt by people. And sometimes the people that hurt us, they have no idea they're doing anything wrong. They repeatedly hurt us over and over again, and they're not repentant of it. And so we are all, so all of us ask this question. And unfortunately, all of us tend to turn to worldly coping mechanisms to deal with that sort of sin, to deal with that sort of pain. Some of us have learned to just bottle things up. Yeah, I'm just going to bottle it. I'm just going to stuff it. I'm going to stuff my feelings, stuff my emotions. That's going to make it better. Some of us avoid things. We just, we're escapists. We run from things. We, We run from our problems. We run from confrontation. Some of us get angry. We get bitter. We get resentful. And some of us, like, we just do a mixture of all those things, right? And in this passage, so in this passage, Jesus tells us, hey, hey, this isn't going to work out for you. If you try and adopt, if you try and use these worldly coping mechanisms to deal with conflict, to deal with problems, to deal with people, it's not going to have a good outcome for you. It's not going to have a good outcome. The only way that we can be the people that God wants us to be is if we are a people that practice Forgiveness. We have to be a people that practice forgiveness. So the question is, of course, how do we become a people of forgiveness? How do we do that? This passage teaches us three things about forgiveness. Three things about forgiveness. The first, it teaches us why we forgive. Why we forgive. The second is how to forgive. How to forgive. And the third is the strength to forgive. The strength, like how do we get the strength to forgive? So why we forgive, how to forgive, and the strength to forgive. And we'll expound upon these in just a moment. But I hope that you guys see that the main point of today's message, the main point is that we can get the strength to forgive because of the forgiveness we receive through Jesus Christ. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would inhabit this space, that you would inhabit this time over the next several minutes. Lord, we pray that your presence, your Holy Spirit would be here as we learn about your very heart, God, as we learn about forgiveness, as we learn about who you are. This is the crux. This is the culmination. This is who you are. You are a God that forgives. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be a people that, that imitate you, that copy you, that we would be Christ-like, that we would be God-like in this regard, that we would be a people that walk in forgiveness. Uh, And and so, God, we pray that you would show us what it means. Show us what you've done for us, how much you loved us, what you were willing to do 
to offer us forgiveness. And Lord, we just pray that that would move our hearts and make us a people that also can forgive because you forgave us first. So God, I pray that you would anoint this time. I pray that you would anoint my lips and that the words that come out of my mouth would not be mine, but rather yours instead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next slide. First point. Let's read. uh, So first point, why we forgive. Why we forgive. Let's read verses 23 and 24 again. 23 and 24. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Okay, okay, so check this out. We're introduced to this dude, to this servant, who owes 10,000 talents. Okay, so cool, 10,000 talents. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. In the Greco-Roman world, one talent, one talent was the equivalent of about 75 pounds of silver. 75 pounds of silver. And that was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii. So what's a denarii? Well, glad you asked. A denarii is approximately one day's wage. A denarii is one day's wage. So let's just say for the sake of argument, just to have a nice round number, let's say that that's about 200 bucks, okay? So one day's wage, about 200. Okay, so if we do a little bit math, math time, Chinese youth pastor, math time. <laughs> If the servant owes 10,000 talents, you take the 10,000 talents, you multiply that by 6,000 denarii, and you multiply that by $200, and you get $12 billion. 12 billion. This dude owes $12 billion. Okay, or you can think about it like this. Think about it like this. All right, so again, let's take that same number, 10,000 talents. You multiply that by 6,000 denarii, and you get 60 million denarii, right? 60 million denarii. And remember, one denarii is a day's wage, so that's 60 million days of work. 60 million days of work. So you multiply 60 million days of work. Or sorry, you divide it, sorry, divide it by 365 days per year, and you get 164,000 years. In order for him to pay off his debt, he has to work for 164,000 years in order to pay off this debt that he owes. Do you see that? What is Jesus saying? Okay, why do we do this math? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that this servant owes his king an absurd, an insane, an astronomical amount of money which he would never be able to repay. Okay? So hold that thought. But then what happens in verse 28, there's a comparison. Jesus compares that amount with another debt. The, the other debt, right? So the second servant, servant number two, owes servant number one a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. So let's do our math again. If one denarii is one day's wage, and one day's wage is 200 bucks, then the fellow servant, if you multiply those together, the fellow servant, servant number two, owes servant number one about $20,000. $20,000. Jesus is intentionally using a pretty large amount of money here, that servant two owes servant one. It's a pretty decent amount of money. It's not 12 billion, not 12 billion, but 20K is still a lot, right? $20,000, still a fair amount of money. So what's Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that, yes, people can hurt you badly. People 
can owe you a lot. They can owe you a lot. But we cannot forget how much more we owe our king. Let me give you an illustration. Here is a short video of some kids who forgot how much they owe. Go ahead and roll the video. That's and one more thing, on Monday night, I issued a challenge to the parents of America. Days of I asked so you multiply Uh-oh. 60 million days of work. To, uh, or sorry. You... Was that me? That was just me, huh? On Monday, was I on Jimmy Kimmel? That's amazing. I'm famous. I asked they ate all their kids' Halloween cake. Oh, here we go. And videotaped that and posted to YouTube. Under the heading, hey, Jimmy Kimmel, I told my kids I ate all their Halloween candy. And a lot of people did. And I guess I didn't expect so much crying. <laughs> I kind of thought the kids would be mad, just mad. Almost every one of them cries. But we got what they, we got. And um, to those children whose tears are about to be immortalized on television, I apologize in advance. Can I tell you what happened to your candy, Blake? I ate it all. I ate yours too, Alan. <laughs> Me and mommy ate it last night when you were asleep. I ate all your Halloween candy last night. <laughs> what candy? <laughs> I think Adam ate all your candy. I'm so sorry. I tricked you. Dad didn't eat all your candy. Oh. <laughs> I tricked you. I'm very, very sorry, Rachel. I ate all your... Halloween candy. How much was it? Oh, oh, Rachel, I'm sorry. You know I like candy, Rachel. Do you still love me? I ate all the candy. What? <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. It's just I'm pregnant and I get really hungry and I ate all of it. Candy. I ate them last night. I took them to work with me. What? <laughs> last night we, we stayed up and we ate all your candy. Are you guys okay with that? No! Why? No! Natalie, calm down, Natalie. I ate all your candy. You have no no more Halloween candy left. What? She ate it. What the heck? Don't you guys think you ate enough candy last night? No. I only had like one bite of candy. Are you serious? Would you like the rest? Oh, good for you. Now you're going to have probably get a bellyache. Why does she need so much candy? Mom, that's two. Two what? Two, two bags of candy. Two is two plus 
two is equals five. <laughs> Jay, you were so close. Did you see how much I had? I went to a lot of houses. I know. I, I ate it all. It tasted so good, especially the peanut butter cups. <gasps> you sneaky mom! <laughs> Thanks to all the sneaky moms and sneaky dads. <laughs> Kids are very unstable. All right. So, did you see that? So, like, okay, think about it this way. I looked this up online. The average cost to raise a child in the United States from age zero to 18 is $272,000. So if any of you are thinking about having kids, each kid is about $272,000 from zero to 18, okay? But these kids, those kids, they rejected their parents. They sold out their parents for like, what, 20 bucks worth of candy? Something like that? $20 worth of Halloween candy. So we laugh at these kids, right? Like, oh, those kids, they're so dumb. They don't understand how much their parents do. But the truth is, we do exactly the same thing with God. We do exactly the same thing with God. Because whenever we sin, so whenever we like lie or steal or cheat or gossip or something like that, what we're doing when we sin is we are hurting other people. Sin just means the prevention of human flourishing, right? We are hurting other people when we sin. And so when we hurt people who are image bearers of God, who are made in God's image, what we are also doing when we hurt people is we are also hurting God. And therefore, when we hurt God, we are owing him a debt. We owe him a debt. And so the question is this. Are you aware of your debt? Are you aware of your debt? Do you realize how much you owe your king? Or are you someone that feels like the world owes you? Which one are you? I want to encourage you guys. Don't be like the unforgiving servant. Don't treat God the way those kids treated their parents. Realize the frightening truth of your situation and recognize the debt that you owe to your king. And so that's our first point, why we forgive, why we forgive. All right, next slide, second point, how to forgive, how to forgive. Let's read verses 26 and 27 again, verses 26 and 27. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, so check this out. Look at, no, okay, Jesus teaches us how to forgive through the example of this king. He teaches us how to forgive through the example of this king. Notice the three things that the king does in verse 27. The three things that he does. He takes pity, he forgives the debt, and he releases him. He takes pity, he forgives the debt, and he lets him go, right? So let's examine these three things. So the first thing he does is he takes pity. The king takes pity on his servant. The English word here for pity is a little bit too weak of a word. It's too weak of a word. The Greek word is splagma. Splagma. My students have heard this word before, right? You guys know. We've heard this word before. Splagma literally means to be moved as to one's bowels with compassion. To be moved as to one's bowels with compassion. Because back then, people thought that a person's bowels, it was the seat of their love and pity. 
The bowels were the seat of one's love and pity. So basically what's happening is the king has so much pity, so much compassion on this servant that he's sick to his stomach. This word is also used uh, in the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus sees the crowd, he has compassion on them. He has splagma for them. He's, he's moved to pity that it hurts. He gets a stomachache because he loves and has compassion for the people who are sh- like sheep without a shepherd. That's the same word here. So essentially, again, the king is filled with so much compassion, he's sick to his stomach. But Keep in mind, again, keep in mind, this servant just swindled him out of a fortune. Out of a fortune. But instead of anger, the king feels deep compassion and pity. The king empathized with his servant. The king showed empathy for his servant. So instead of thinking about the harm that the servant did to him, instead, he put himself in his servant's shoes. He put himself in his servant's shoes. So maybe the king thought something like, you know, if I was in this servant situation, maybe I would have lost that money too. Maybe I would have done that. Or or maybe he thought to himself, you know what, if I imprison this dude, then what's going to happen to his wife? What's going to happen to his kids? It's going to be horrible. So so he he put himself, through the king, Jesus is telling us that before we cut people off in relationship, before we decide to cancel somebody, we need to practice empathy. That's what Jesus is saying through this passage. Let me give you an example or an illustration. Last month, Park students, so the youth group and I, we went on an inner city mission trip to downtown Denver. We partnered with an organization called Open Door Ministries. And so again, it's in downtown Denver. And on one of the days, we interacted a bunch with many people in the city that were experiencing homelessness. And here's the thing, right? We've been taught our whole lives pretty much like, hey, you kind of want to stay away from homeless people. They're dangerous. They're bad people. They're scary. They're addicts, that sort of thing. So, you know, a lot of us have been taught, maybe not all of us, but some of us have been taught, hey, if you see a homeless person out of, for safety reasons and for other reasons, walk on the other side of the street, right? Walk on the other side of the street. Don't interact with them. Um, they're, they're dirty, scary, gross people. That's what we've been taught our entire lives. But then, when we went on this mission trip, we actually got to meet some of them. We met some of the people experiencing homelessness, and we got to talk to them, and we listened to their stories. We listened to their stories. And we discovered that, guess what? These people who are experiencing homelessness, though they seem so different, so separate, so far apart from us, they, turns out, are also made in the image of God. We realized that actually, we're basically no different than homeless people. We are absolutely no different. We, and and in fact, if we think about it, if we had lived, if, if we were in their shoes, if we had the upbringing that they had, if we had the parents they had, if we had the friends that they had, if we made maybe one or two different choices in our lives, we would possibly be in the exact same position as them. We would be no different. That's kind of what we discovered when we started just talking to them and having conversations with them. When we are quick to judge, uh, when we are quick to reduce people, reduce people to their their sins or their addictions or, or their reputations, what happens is we cut out our ability to forgive. When we refuse to empathize, when we reduce people to just their basest selves, then we cut out our ability to forgive. Jesus is saying here, don't do that. 
Don't do that. Put yourself in each other's shoes. Take pity and practice empathy. Okay? So that's the first thing. Take pity, right? Second thing that the king does is he cancels the servant's debt. He cancels the servant's debt. So here's the thing, right? When somebody wrongs us, when somebody wrongs us, we want them to pay what they owe, right? They owe me. They hurt me, so they need to pay me back. But canceling the debt, what the king does here, canceling the debt means not taking revenge and instead paying down the debt yourself. You pay down the debt yourself. Forgiveness says, you don't owe me anything anymore. You don't owe me anything anymore. I'm not holding this over you. That's what forgiveness says. And of course, obviously, we know this is not easy. This is not easy. Because the bigger the sin against you, the more someone harms you, the more it costs you to forgive. Does that make sense? The more someone harms you, the more it costs you to forgive. And yes, of course, it might feel good to make people pay. Revenge might feel good. It might feel good to get them back, make them pay for what they've done. But I promise you, I promise you, the more you are someone who demands payment, the more entitled you are to repayment, the uglier your heart will become. I promise you. Let me give you another illustration. Um, Before I became a youth pastor, I was a police officer. And so there's this one time, um, and this happened a lot of times actually, but I remember this one particular uh, thing, time when I was dispatched to a drive-by shooting. There was a drive-by shooting, and when we arrived, we discovered that there was collateral damage. What happened was, during the drive-by shooting, there was a six-year-old girl who was playing in the yard. Drive-by happened, she was shot and killed. So, of course, you know, uh, we were doing some digging, doing some research, trying to discover, okay, who did it, what happened, you know, interviewing people, calling witnesses, that sort of thing, finding out what happened here, and we discovered that this particular drive-by shooting was a retaliatory drive-by shooting. It was retaliatory. So, we went back, so, you know, pulled up the, you know, just kind of uh, the log, we just pulled up our reports to see why the previous drive-by shooting happened. Turns out, that was retaliatory as well. And so we're like, okay, so we can, you know, let's go down this rabbit trail, right? So let's keep on looking back, keep on looking back. And so ultimately, we just kind of looked to the cause of it from the very beginning, the very first report from like a month or two ago, and we discovered that the original, I guess, offense that happened was that gang, one gang member went into the territory of another gang, and he looked at somebody funny. He looked at somebody funny, and then they started talking, then they started shouting, then they started fighting, and then somebody got beat up, and then they jumped the other guy, and then they jumped the other guy, and then it turned into a drive-by, which turned into a drive-by, which turned into a six-year-old getting shot and killed. I've learned that when we don't forgive, when we don't forgive, when we allow resentment, when we allow bitterness to fester, it's like a cancer. It's like a cancer. Bitterness, resentment is a cancer, and it poisons your whole life. Someone once said, resentment is the poison you drink, hoping it will kill your enemies. Resentment, bitterness, it's the poison you drink, hoping that somebody else dies from it, because it kills you from the inside. That's what bitterness, that's what resentment, that's what unforgiveness causes. However, Jesus is telling us that forgiveness means 
canceling the debt that you are owed. So that's the second thing that the king does. He cancels the servant's debt. And the last thing that he does is he lets the servant go. He releases him. One more illustration. So when I was little, um, when my mom was pregnant for my little brother, um, when it was time for my brother to be born, she needed a C-section in order to, um, you know, get my brother out. And so uh, what happened was, so they put her under um, to start the operation to extract my little brother. But what happened was during the operation, uh, her anesthesia failed. Her anesthesia failed. And so uh, my mom, while this operation was happening, she was awake enough to feel them cutting her open, but she was too asleep. She was asleep enough. So she was too asleep to be able to scream. Um, and so what happened was, like halfway, two-thirds of the way through the surgery, one of the doctors, he took a step back, and then he said, he looked at my mom, and he just said, wait a second, why are her hands, why are her fists clenched in balls? Like, why, why are her fists clenched? And they realized, oh no. And so they, you know, increased the anesthesia, but the damage had been done. The damage had already been done. And due to the trauma of that surgery, maybe due to the anesthesia as well, due to some complications from the surgery, all that stuff, um, due to the trauma though, my mom now is, is weaker and just not as, you know, quick, not as like, you know, awake as she used to be. Like my mom, she got her PhD in molecular biology. She was a cancer researcher and a university professor, right? Following that surgery, she could no longer do those things. She couldn't do those things anymore. And so, this was clear medical malpractice, right? Medical malpractice, so what do you do when there's malpractice? You sue, right? You sue them. But my parents, my mom, decided not to sue. She decided not to sue. Instead, she chose to forgive, their, forgive the doctors of their malpractice and let them go. Forgiving the doctors was extremely costly for my mom. It was extremely costly. My mom is paying that debt for the rest of her life. She's paying their, the debt that they owe for the rest of her life. But the difference is, the thing is that my mom walks in peace, she walks in joy, and she has zero bitterness, zero resentment, because she released them. She released the doctors from their debt. She said to them, you don't owe me anything anymore. You don't owe me anything. And so everyone, the doctors and herself, got to walk away free. And so Jesus says, this is how you forgive. This is how you forgive. You take pity. You have compassion. Splagma. You cancel the debt, and you let them go. You release them. But that's a pretty tall ask. That's a pretty tall price, right? That seems very difficult. Seems impossible. How do you get the strength to forgive? How do you get the strength to do that? And that's our last point, the strength to forgive. In verse 34, Jesus says something that's super strange, super weird, and also super terrifying. It's super weird because Jesus says that the servant was given over to be tortured, to be tortured. And you're like, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? That's harsh. What? I, I thought you were kind and loving king. What's going on? All the forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that the king had? Like, what's going on here? What, what's with the torture? What's going on? Why? Tim Keller says it like this. This parable is about a servant who acted like a king and was punished for it. But Jesus is saying that he is the king who became a servant 
and took the punishment that we deserved. Let me repeat that. This parable is about a servant who acted like a king and was punished for it. But Jesus is the king who became a servant and took the punishment that we deserved. In this parable, the king seems to be demanding, he seems to be demanding something impossible of his servant when he throws him in prison. He's demanding something impossible because there is no way that the servant can pay back billions and billions of dollars. The billions that he owes, there's no way he can pay that back while being in prison, while being tortured, right? In the same way, there's nothing that we can do to pay back the debt that we owe because of our sin. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to pay back our debt. What Jesus is saying here is that the only way, the only way that the debt, that our debt can be paid is if someone else is tortured and killed in our stead. That's the only way that can happen. And it turns out that Jesus himself, the king himself, was willing to do that. It was the king himself who paid the debt on our behalf. The gospel says that Jesus, who was the king, He left heaven, he emptied himself of his glory, and he came to the earth where he was tortured and he was killed on a Roman cross. But he did this to pay our debt so that we could go free. Though our debt, though our sin is far greater than we could ever dare imagine, God still pursues us and he still loves us more than we could ever dare hope. And he says to all of us, he says to anybody, hey, if anyone just ABCs, does everyone A, admits that they're a sinner, admits that they owe a debt that they cannot repay, B, believes in Jesus, believes that he died and that he paid and he canceled that debt that we owed using his own blood, and C, if we choose to follow after him, if we admit, believe, and choose ABC, then he takes that punishment that we deserve and he gives us the crown that he deserves. So back to the question. How do we get the strength to forgive? How do we get the strength to forgive? It's definitely not by just trying harder or or looking within yourself through the goodness within yourself. That's not how it's done. That's not how you get the strength to forgive. It is only when we rejoice in the king who became a servant for us and paid for the sin that we deserve. When we rejoice in our king, that is the only thing that will empower us to walk in forgiveness. Why don't we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I confess that I am not good at this. I am not like you, Jesus. I'm not like my mom in so many ways. How I hold on to things, how, how I hold on to grudges, and God, I, I confess that I, you know, where, where you say that you forget our sin, you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, Lord, I confess I don't do that. I don't do that, and I I remember stuff. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for that. Forgive me for how I hold on to my, you know, $20,000 debts when in reality I owe you $12 I owe you so much more, infinitely more. And so God, I pray that you'd forgive me for that, forgive us for that. But instead, Lord, we just pray that you would show us, remind us of your goodness, of your gospel, how you paid any price. You were willing to pay any price, even if it was your own life, for our sake, in order to reconcile with us how, how you loved us more than life and how you gave up everything so that we could be free. 
And God, I know that this is probably a message, this, this gospel story is one that many of us have heard ad nauseum almost, that some of us have heard this over and over and over again, but God, we pray that this would be real in our hearts and real in our lives today. Again, just one more time, the fact that you loved us to the end, how you spared no expense um, just because you, you chased us down and, and you wanted us and you loved us. And so God, as we approach uh, your table, as we approach uh, communion, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would help us to reflect on, on this, this idea of forgiveness, how it's at the core of, God, who you are. And so, Lord, if that's who you are, we pray that that would be us too, that we would also be a people that walk in forgiveness as you forgave us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.